if we're talking about revival, it means there must be some sort of life there. Is that right? Because we don't have to resuscitate the church. Okay, some churches you might have to, but most churches you don't. There's some sort of life there. But we have to revive it. And, and it's really important that we understand that because what revival actually means is that we bring back an active or flourishing state. If you look at what revival actually means, we, we sort of spiritualize it a lot, but I think we've got to remember that what we're talking about is bringing life to something that, is, that, is having, that life is at its lowest ebb. That's what re- revival is. You can revive that life. Isaiah 57 verse 15, if you have your Bibles, uh, if you've got the app, uh, you can follow the notes in the app and all the verses are there. If you've got this memorized, good for you. I don't, but you might. Isaiah 57 verse 15 says this, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. This is what he says. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. So if we are lowly and if we are contrite, whatever they mean, that means that he can revive us. There is life there, but he can bring life to the full. So if you're alive this morning or online, uh, if you're alive, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, and if you can hear my voice, you are eligible for revival this morning. Isn't that cool? You, 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 fit, you just scrape in. Doesn't matter how old or young you are. Doesn't matter how good looking or not you are. Doesn't matter how tall or short you are. You just fit in. Because revival, if you, if you are alive, you can be revived. Now, Kenny mentioned last week in his, uh, the word that he brought uh, about sound waves being converted by tiny bones in our ears into electrical impulses, which, <coughs> which, <coughs> excuse me, which we interpret as sound. So what happens is... The sound wave comes in, it excites these little bones, and our brain takes that electrical impulse and converts it into sound. That's how we can, that's how we can hear things. So th- those little bones in your ears actually translate a sound wave into something you can understand. That was his point last week, was it not? And, you know, we can hear about this stuff all the time. We need someone to translate it so it makes sense to us. Because you can talk about and, 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 and pray about and, and long for revival, but we need something that actually makes sense. Josh spoke last week about, about keeping it real. And so many times, I think, in our, in our effort, our desire, we want, to, we want God to do stuff so much that we fake stuff, and I'm not prepared to do that. I want God to be real. Do I hear an amen to that? And God is real. We, we see God moving all the time in miracles and wonders in our church all the time. Just hear, hearing about the, the family that, uh, that we heard about before that needs accommodation. We've just got to believe God for a miracle. We haven't got a choice. We've got to believe God. And so God should be real all around us. And we want, we want a spirit of revival that's real, that's fair income, don't you? Aussies hate fakeness. Have you noticed that? It's like it's in our nature. If you're fake, we kind of go, don't really like it. I don't know about other cultures. I'm pretty sure South Africans will be on the same page. You guys hate, hate fake, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and we detect it pretty well. Some other cultures embrace it, and I sit there going, I don't know about that. We want it to be real. So let me ask you, what is the price of revival? What would it cost us to see revival in our city today? In our era, in our own lives? Well, let me ask you a few more questions. 
What did Moses have to pay? What did Samuel have to pay? What did David or Elijah have to pay? Or Isaiah or Hezekiah? What did Joshua have to pay to see revival in their generation? What price did Peter and Paul or Martin Luther or John Wesley or George Whitfield, what price did they pay? Because I'm telling you, even, even Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, you can trace all these great men of God through and women of God through. What price did they pay? Because I'm telling you, the price is exactly the same today. It hasn't changed. It's the same price. There's no difference. There will never be any difference. God has never changed his terms. Revival is not on special because of COVID or something. You know, like, get revival today. Marks down. Never to be repeated price. It's not going to happen. We, we tend to want to bargain everything. We really do. We want to bargain all... This is in our human nature. But the most expensive power in the world is the power of Pentecost. And that does not come cheap. If you want it, you need to buy it. You need to pay the money, whatever the cost is to buy it. Have you been... I don't know if you watch any of the... Um, in your newspaper, the price of housing on the coast. What do you think of it? Amazing. If you're tuning in around the world, the prices have just shot through the roof here. And we are continuously amazed to sit there and see the, for, for, for really, for a piece of junk, the price that people are putting on it. But see, the price is worth what someone will pay for it. You can't, you, people say, oh, that's too much. Is it? Because if someone will pay for it, then it's not too much because somebody was prepared to pay for it. There is a price for what we want. The price might be high for revival, but I believe we can and should be praying and believing for it right now. Anyone with me? Because we can talk about this till the cows come home. I want to know how we achieve it. So I came up with five Ps because I like alliteration. And um, I thought, well, this is, this is a pretty good way to go. The first P of our five Ps is personal devotion. We must have a personal devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you study the biographies of great men and women of God, the ones I've mentioned before and others, you will realise they are characterised by one outstanding attitude. They are absolutely in love with Jesus Christ. And I want to be that guy. Do you want to be that person? To be absolutely in love with Jesus. These people, you know, and, and a lot of the guys that we talk about, they were not perfect they're not perfect people. If you look at David, for example, not a perfect guy. But even though they, weren't, even though they struggled and they fell at times, they doubted. They, they struggled with sin and doubt. But because if we repent, God deals with our sin. He's looking for something far deeper. Da King David was a murderer and an adulterer. He was, you know, he was a spectacular sinner. The thing I love about studying King David is if whatever he did, it was spectacular. If he was going to be victorious, it was spectacular. If he was going to sin, it was spectacular. It was like off the charts, right? But God blessed him and called him Israel's greatest king. Why? If you look at Acts 13 verse 22, this is a reflection of 1 Samuel 13 verse 14, it says this. Listen to what it says. And when he had removed him, he raised, which was Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my own heart who will do my will. See, with all of David's faults, his big plus was that he was a man after God's own heart. He was in love with his Lord. And see, and that gives encouragement to me, a sinner, and to you, a sinner, that no matter what happens, if we love God enough, he 
he's going to forgive us and he's going to restore us. No matter what sin we... If you've sinned here today, if you're in sin right at this minute, then I believe it's time for you to repent and get rid of that stuff and turn to Christ and turn from your wicked ways and say, Lord, have mercy on me. And if you do, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, you, you, people say, well, uh, oh, you know, I, I, I'm a sinner. God won't love me. God loves sinners. He loves you so much he doesn't keep you there. He forgives you of that sin and he makes something of your life. But you and I must fall in love with Jesus. Passion and devotion to Christ will take care of the sin problems in our lives. If we love Jesus more, we will hate the devil more and hate the world and hate sin more. I have people say to me, well, look, I really, love, I really love the Lord, but, you know, I just can't stop sinning. Well, I'm sorry, you don't. You don't really love him, because if you did, you'd stop. I remember counselling with a, a guy who was a friend of mine who'd left his wife. And he said, I really love my wife and I love my children, but I'm, I've left and I'm having this affair. And I said, don't give me that stuff. You don't. If you really loved your wife and children, you would not be doing that. I don't care what your excuse is. If you really loved your wife and child, you would not be doing that because love is not just a word, it's, it's an act of the will. You decide to love someone and you, you put heart and soul into that. If we really love Jesus, then anything that puts a shadow between him and us will be a horrible offence to us. Now let me talk about dedication or negotiation because I talk to Christians all the time and they, they're not dedicated to God, they want to negotiate with God all the time. It's this human nature. I want to get the best deal I can. You know what I'm talking about. You go, how do you feel if you buy something I remember Fiona telling me she was on a, a, a trip one time before I met her when she was young and someone went out, they were in Fiji and someone went out and they came back and they said, look, I've got this bargain, this guy carved these swords, put my name in the sword and I've got this bargain and I've got it for only $20 and then he found out everyone else on the trip had got it for like $5 and he felt like an idiot because he, he, didn't, he didn't get the best price. See, we're like that, we're wired. We want the maximum we can for the minimum outlay. Am I right? So I talk to Christians all the time and, and they say to me all the time, can I be a Christian and still do such and such or whatever? So that might be, for example, can I be a Christian and still have, have multiple sex partners? Can I be a Christian and be gay? Can I be a Christian and make money a certain way? Can I be a Christian and, and, and be angry at people and not forgive them because they've done me wrong? What they're really asking is, can I compromise and get away with it? That's what they're asking. What they're asking is, can I do what I want and still expect God to bless me? That's what they're asking. If you say, can I be a Christian and still do this, you're trying to negotiate with God. It's the wrong question. The question should not be, what can I get away with as a Christian? It should not be, what bargain price can I knock God down to? The question should be this, Lord... I give up everything. Can I give it all to you? That should be the question. Because if we're totally devoted, we're not going to sit there and try and bargain with God for his love and his blessing. We need to just be totally devoted. 2 Samuel 24, 24. This is a situation where David, uh, he's actually buying the, what, what eventually becomes the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And uh, there's another guy there. Uh, Aruna, and he says to him, look, I'll just supply everything 
I'll give you all the wood and all the sacrifice and that. And David says these words, No, I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord that cost me nothing. Yet here we are, centuries later, trying to figure out how we can get blessing from the Lord that costs us nothing or very little. And I think we've got to change our mentality and say, I want to be totally devoted to you, not trying to bargain you down, Lord, to get what I can at a bargain basement price. We've got to stop bargaining down revival to suit our budget. I'm going to show you, this is a car I would like to own. This is the, uh, the Ferrari, La Ferrari. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Anything that has doors that open that way has got to be cool. Okay. Um, do, do you like my car? <laughs> you don't. <coughs> I bet it's faster than yours. Anyway, um, this, this car here sells for a cool 1.4 million US dollars, which is just over 2 million Australian dollars. And I see it. I like it. Red's very good. Red goes faster, of course. Um, I want it. <coughs> And then I say to myself, but hang on a minute, I can't afford it. But then when I think, hang on a minute, if, if, if I sold my home, uh, all my investments, my super, my cars, my furniture, at least one of my children, probably a kidney or two, um, and then took out a loan, I could probably get that car. See, the bottom line is, I might say I want it, but I don't want it that bad. I mean, have you seen my current car? It doesn't look like that. But it gets me from A to B. That thing just gets you from A to B. Albeit in style with an Italian accent, but it gets you from A to B. Right? So, when I look at this car, I think, wow, that's really nice. I'd really like one of those. But the price is actually too high for me to pay. And everyone says that they love the Lord, but can you honestly say that you love him more than life itself? More than anything or anyone in your life? Personal devotion to Jesus is, is not by word only, it's by your heart. And, and it's with all your heart and with all your soul. There has to be personal, passionate devotion that wakes us up in the night, that, that, that's with us all day, that besets us on every side, at home and abroad, wherever we are, that we are constantly, think we're in love. Can you remember when you first fell in love? You're, some of you are looking at me kind of like, mm, where's he going with this? But, but when you first fall in love, everything's just, have you noticed that the flowers are a little bit sweeter and, you know, the air's a little bit purer? And, and, you st and everything you do, you, you kind of, you keep thinking about this one that you love all the time. And so even guys stop thinking about cars and football and start thinking about this person they love. It's a miracle. Because when you love someone, you know, you st they, they enter, they're in your thoughts all the time. You think of them all the time. You know, and then, of course, you, you, you fall in love, you get engaged, you get married, and then it's all kind of downhill from there for some. Not for all, but for some. <coughs> Heard about a couple who were in getting marriage counselling one day. And the counsellor said to the woman, what's the problem? She said, he never tells me he loves me. And he turned to the man, he said, is that true? And the man said, look, I told her I loved her 20 years ago when I married her. If I changed my mind, I'll let her know. <laughs> you see, we're like, we, if you love someone, it should fill your thoughts. The Bible talks about your first love. 
Think of your first love for someone you love and care about. You know, you, you would just, you couldn't think about anything else. And I think we need to have that same personal devotion to the Lord, don't you? Can you say with the psalm, Psalm 73, verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. How about that? Who do I have but you? I desire nothing in this world but you. Can we say with Paul, Philippians 3 verse 8, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish. The, the Greek word is dung in order that I might gain Christ. Is Christ that important to you? Are you that devoted to him? This is challenging me because we say we are. But is he filling my thoughts all the time? So that's the first P. The second P is passion for souls. The second price of revival is, is a passion for the souls of others. Not just compassion. Not just being moved or feeling sorry for people. But a real, genuine, pay-at-any-cost commitment to saving souls. A passion <coughs> that gives us no rest, no peace. We will give the best of our thoughts, the best of our talents, the best of our time, the best of our efforts in seeking out the lost for the Saviour. Are you really that passionate about it? Uh, Paul writes in Romans 9, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. What he's saying is I care about them so, so, so much that I, I wish God would curse me if he would only let them in. That is a passion for souls. He didn't just have a passing feeling for the lost. He had this incredible passion. The word for sorrow in that passage is, is the word lipe, which means a heaviness. And the word for anguish is the word odane, which means consuming grief or pain. <coughs> Let me ask you, when you look at your friends, when, when you look at your relatives, when you see people on the streets, do you have a heaviness, a grief, a passion for them to come to Christ? I'm challenging myself here. Does it even affect you at all? I mean, you walk down the streets here and you see people in dire need and we just walk straight past. Do we not? Do we not? You hear of people in trouble and you go, oh, well, they deserve it. That's not passion for souls. That's not even compassion. I believe we've got to see people for who they really are. Psalm 126 says this. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping and bearing seed for sowing shall come in with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. If we start shedding tears for the lost in our society, we will see people come to Christ. If we start hurting for them, longing for them, doing whatever it takes to reach our people for Christ, we will see them coming to Christ. We will. We see a few that come to Christ here. We see a trickle. But man, I want to see a flood, don't you? I want to see this place filled with people who are coming to Christ. Do you weep for the lost? Is reaching people for Jesus something that drives you? Something that even moves you? We have a fantastic capacity as human beings to use words to cloak whatever is going on. Have you noticed that? They, they use buzzwords all the time. You know, we, 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 don't, we don't talk about gay marriage. We talk about... Marriage inequality, they've got this new word for it that covers everything. One thing that amuses me, doesn't amuse me, saddens me, but, but that intrigues me, 
is with the recent decision over the last couple of days overturning the Road versus Wade uh, decision in the United States, we're announcing every state is able to, to make their own laws with regards abortion. And I think that's a huge victory for life. But, but you notice the words they use. They call a baby a fetus. They, 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 they don't talk, they talk about terminations. Well, I talk about babies and I talk about murder. And I make no, no excuse for that. Because that's what it is. This little group of cells they call a fetus. At what point does it magically turn into a human being? At what point can pro-abortion people say, oh, well, we, could, we can't kill that, that's a person. The Bible says, at conception. The Bible says, I, I formed you in the womb. God knows what's going on. And I believe there is, we should have a passion, a real passion for people who are lost. And we should have a passion for babies who are being murdered. But they dress it up in these words. Because if you use words, you can disguise what's actually happening. Someone once said to me, if wombs had windows, there would not be abortion. That's probably true. And many of the victims are not just the babies. It's also the mothers that are being hoodwinked and, and, and are being given a bunch of information that is simply not true we use words so we do it in the christian church because we when we look out there we see people walking down the street when you see people who are your friends and your family we call them the unsaved the unchurched non-christians but folks the lost are lost they're facing a lost eternity without Christ unless we, you and I, get serious about reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. James 5.20 says this, Let him know that, whatever, that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. We need to get serious about reaching souls. This generation is responsible for this generation of souls right around the earth and particularly here. We can't look back and say, oh, well, the previous generation should have done. This is our moment, folks. We need to be reaching out to people with the love of Christ right now. And now's probably the best time in our history. Because we've got a world out there that's in, that's in pain and a world that's in fear. And we have the solution, yet we remain silent. Spurgeon, the great British preacher, said this. If you have no wish for others to be saved, then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. We need to be serious about it. Let's get real. Let's genuinely have a passion for the souls of people around us. God is deadly serious about our responsibilities as believers. And we need to have a passion for souls. Ezekiel 33 is a really interesting passage. Listen to what it says, verse 7. God's speaking to Ezekiel. So you, son of man, I've made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them the warning from me. If I... <coughs> Excuse me, if I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his ways, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Because we had the solution and we never spoke up. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his ways, and he does not turn from his ways, that person will die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. God is serious about winning people to Jesus. He really is. We have a nation 
that is going to hell. And we need to be the ones who speak up. We have to swallow our fear and our pride and share the good news with people so they can repent and be set free and have eternal life. It's the same gospel, folks. We just need to speak it out. I hope I'm challenging you. I'm definitely challenging myself. The third P that we need to see revival is pressing into the word. If you say that you're a believer and you want revival, but you're not pressing into God's word, then you're a hypocrite. What's the word hypocrite mean? We use that a lot. People use it about us. Oh, you're, you're, you're religious. You must be a hypocrite. Really? Does that follow? The word hypocrite is a Greek word, which means an actor, and it refers to the mask that actors used to wear. You know, they're performing a part. It's not real, but they're performing a part. Jesus said of the Pharisees in Matthew 15, You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy to you, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me and teach teach as doctrines the commandments of men. That sums up a lot of us these days. We teach men's commandments as doctrines, and we, we, you know, we're not listening to God. He's still speaking. We're not listening. Without pressing into the word, we miss connecting with him. We miss the point and we miss the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Psalm 119 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your law. So let me ask you, is the Bible a dynamic, wonderful thing in your life? Or is it a dust collector? Do you seek God in his word or just seek his blessing over whatever you've decided you want to do? There's a challenge to us here. The more you get into the word of God, the deeper your relationship goes. One of the great blessings that Fiona and I had over the last few weeks is we were locked in a car together for hours travelling all over Tasmania. And it's a fairly confined space. And uh, we had to actually talk. Now, she talks very well. I'm, I'm a typical bloke, you know, at times. Um, but it was great to just spend time together and talk. See, if you love someone, you talk to them. You know, you don't ignore them. You talk to them. And it's the same goes with God. Is the, is the Bible part of what you do? Hebrews 4 verse 12 is my favourite verse on the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12, listen to this. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, <coughs> and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, God's Word divides the soul and the spirit. What does that mean? The, the Bible's saying that God's word is like a double-edged sword that splits things in two. But then it talks about the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. See, so the soul is your mind, will and emotions. It's the word psyche in the Greek. Sound familiar? Psyche? As in psychotherapist and psycho, the movie. Um, it's your mind, your mind, will and emotions. The, the Greek word for spirit is the word pneuma which is the part of you that is connected to God. God places his Holy Spirit in you. And so your spirit is connected to God via his Holy Spirit. So what that verse is saying is that it discerns, the word in Greek is is kritikos, kritikos, critical, to discern, okay? It discerns, which means it judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Sometimes you say, I'm not really sure how I feel about this. If you go to the Word of God, it divides how you feel and what you think from what is really true. 
That's what that verse is saying. The Greek word for intentions, it judges the intentions of the heart, is the word anoia, which means the intent or moral understanding behind the action. So let's summarize it. That verse says the Bible, reading it, obeying it, hiding it in your heart, building your life upon it, enables you to sort out what God wants from your life as opposed to what your intellect, your will and emotions wants from life. If you want to live a holy life, get the word of God into you because you will start to see things clearly. Uh, just over, overnight, just reading a few posts from America. Now, in America, where they've just overturned this decision, most Christians are rejoicing, some are not. And people that, that I thought would be rejoicing, some of them have said, oh, well, you know, like it's, it should be about a woman's choice and all that sort of stuff. Read your Bible! Like, when we had the, the plebiscite, I had Christians come to me and say, I don't know which way to vote. I said, what, can't you read? You know, because it's, it's not open to debate. See, the, the thing is that the, the world standards constantly change depending on what's in fashion at the time. But God's standard, his word stands forever. Amen. That's what we've got to base our life on. If you want to live a victorious Christian life, press into the word of God. I was having a debate with my, my brother-in-law one time and he got so frustrated with me because, because I was proclaiming truth. And he's a Christian, but he didn't believe me. And he said, the problem with you, he said, Darren, the problem with you is that you look at society through the Bible instead of looking at the Bible through society. I said, thank you, that's the greatest compliment I've ever had. We have got to look at society through this prism because this is truth. If you look at this through society, it'll change next week and you have to change what you believe again. This is the word of God and it's truth and we need to be pushing into that, pressing into that. The fourth thing is persistence in prayer. The fourth price that we have to pay for revival, if we're going to get serious about this, is persistent intercession, both, pers both, both personal and corporate. Now we've got a lot of people here this morning, we've, you know, good numbers here this morning. We have a, a, a prayer meeting every first and third Tuesday nights and we get about 30 to 40 people along to that and I've had other pastors say, wow, that's a miracle getting so many to a prayer meeting. I'm not happy because if we're going to see revival, we've got to pray, folks. And I would love, I would love for all of you to join us on those times to join us on Thursday morning prayer with with Doug at the team there like we just got to pray folks we really do because you can't have revival without prayer one of the greatest revivals in uh, recent memory or recent times was the great Welsh revival 1904 to 1907 and it was an incredible revival it was started by Evan Roberts and his sister Mary who started a prayer meeting that didn't stop and they just kept praying, and they just kept believing, and they just kept trusting God, and the whole of their nation was turned upside down for Christ. The whole of their nation went into true revival because they said, we're going to pay that price. We're going to pay it. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. We need to be thankful, folks. We need to be thankful. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. We must literally saturate our town in prayer. If I were to ask you, do you believe God answers prayer? You would say, of course I do. 
say, well, how do you know? Have you seen it? And some of you will say, yes, I've seen it in my life. And others will say, well, no, I've heard about it. But listen, if we pray together, we're going to see God answering prayers like on a scale you would not believe. We're going to see miracles and provision on a scale we would not just even contemplate. And as I look forward, I have no fear for the future because I know who has my future in his hands and the future of this church in his hands. We see miracles every week here at Ignite, but we need to see more. If you want to see miracles in your life, hang around here. They're commonplace. But we want to see more. That's why we have the, the, the first and third Tuesday of the month, we have this, we're calling it encounter, prayer and praise nights, where we want to encounter God. And we see God do amazing things. We have to pray passionately, not just off a religious shopping list to God. Let me, let me tell you, if you find prayer boring, chances are God does too. Because if your prayers are boring, he's probably up there going, gee, are we done yet, you know? Prayer should be exciting. Prayer should be something that you, you, you're spending time in the presence of the creator of the universe. You're spending time in the presence of the one who sent his son to die for you. You're spending time connected to the greatest force in this world and we go, oh, here's my shopping list, Lord. Can we get through this pretty quick so I can go and watch the football? You know, that's not on. I'm sorry, we need to be serious about prayer. When we pray together, we build each other up and prayer becomes exciting. So get together with, come those Tuesday nights, just come and enjoy it. It's not weird or strange, it's just God and it's wonderful. It's refreshing and it's beautiful. The fifth thing, the fifth P is penitence and repentance. God established the price for revival with King Solomon and it hasn't changed. He's not having a revival fire sale. He's not saying, okay, well, you know, we're getting towards the end of time here. We might just, can we sell off revival cheap um, so we can just get on? He's not saying that. It's the same price. 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. You know the verse probably well. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, says the Lord, and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's revival. When our whole nation gets healed. The final missing ingredient of revival is repentance. And you notice it doesn't say if the government. It doesn't say if the trade unions. It doesn't say if the LGBTQ blah, 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 plus, 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 whatever they call themselves these days, the alphabet soup. It doesn't say them. It says, if my people. That's you and I. See, revival depends on us. And the only reason we don't have revival in our nation is we're not prepared to pay the price. It's too expensive. And repentance is not just feeling sorry for yourself or sorry that you got caught. It's not just feelings of remorse. Acts 3 verse 19, Peter says this, Repent therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out, the times of refreshing, that's the word revival, may come from the presence of the Lord. If we want that refreshing, if we want him to pour out his spirit on our lives, we have to repent. And we have to say, Lord, that's why we're singing refiner's fire before purify my heart we sing it but we've got to mean it we can't say purify purify most of my heart except this bit you know we can't do that it's purify my heart the whole thing we have to repent 
We have to get it right. Times of refreshing is the Greek word uh, anapsisix, which literally means revival. It means breathing a, a breath into something, the restoration of life. Repentance leads to revival. So if you want something bad enough, it's like an old game show they used to have called Name Your Price. Do you remember the price is right and all that sort of stuff? We used to do that. Name your price. What price do you want? What price would you pay for this? If you want something bad enough, you'll pay any price, any price. Personal devotion, passion for souls, pressing into the word, persistence in prayer and true repentance, any price. I'm going to ask you today, will you join me? Will you join me in paying any price this morning? Are you serious about it? We say revival, we talk about it, but this is our moment, folks, when we can respond and say, Lord, I'm prepared to pay that price to see true revival in our lives, in our church, and in our community. Will you lay before him everything you have, your house, your car, your job, your career, your talents? Will you give it all to him? Will you give him the people you love, Will you, your neighbours, your hopes, your dreams for the future? Will you lay aside any sin, any dream, any desire, repent and seek his face? Because that's what it takes to see revival. I was amused when we were at uh, Cradle Mountain last week. They had a little sign on top of the toilet and it said, please do not flush any of these. And it listed four things and it was feminine products and tissue. And, so, and the last one was hopes and dreams. I thought that was cute. But you know, you can lay your hopes and dreams at his feet and trust him for those. Why should we hang on to that stuff? Will you lay it all aside? Revival happens when people are desperate enough. The Welsh revival in, in 1904 saw a whole nation turn to Christ. Uh, there's a photograph of it up here. Um, a whole nation came to Christ. And it was started by a prayer meeting. That's one of the meetings they had there in the Welsh revival. And, and, and it was such a cool time because all the pubs started shutting down and the, the police were just playing cards because there was nothing else to do because no one was committing crime. And, and all of the mines in, in Wales came to a standstill because the pit ponies, who only understood swear words, couldn't understand what the miners were now speaking. <laughs> so they had to re-educate the pit ponies. Isn't that amazing? How cool is that? This is what we're talking about. We're not talking about a flash in the pan here. We need revival that transforms nations. We've seen whole nations turn to Christ and, and whole cities come to Christ. You know, I think of people like Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, countless others that have seen revivals. <coughs> We've seen it even in our own time, Toronto, Brownsville, other places. Have a look at this. This is a, another photo up here that I, I found. This is Billy Graham preaching. Are we prepared to pay a price to see that in our country? To see that with our people? It can happen. We just had Will here a couple of weeks ago in Tasmania. We can see revival in our time. I have travelled with Bill Newman for a long time, as you probably know, 25 or so years. But we have actually seen a true revival in northeast India, in the state of Meghalaya. Thank you, next photo. Um, We've seen true revival up there. That's Singapore, where, where we saw certainly something happen. The next one on for us. These are some of the crowds that we had up there in northeast India. Now, you might say, oh, well, that's just a big crowd. No, it's not. Let me tell you the story of this revival. 
Because this is now documented. This is incredible. And I had the great privilege of standing in the middle of it. So I'm not talking about something I haven't seen. I've seen it. Right? Now, in 1904, the Welsh revival happened. In 1907, the Welsh church sent missionaries to this part of India. And they planted Welsh Presbyterianism up there, which is very staid, uh, very traditional. <laughs> but, but it just permeated the lives of all of these people up in these places, right? Now, a hundred years to the day, they held a rally to celebrate the coming of Welsh Presbyterians to northeast India. They hired a stadium. My friend Robert Cumble, who's on the Billy Gray team, preached that day. They had a hundred and, and nearly 200,000 people in and around the stadium. They couldn't fit them in. And God hit the place. The Holy Spirit dropped on that place. And people were, it was just out of control. And they'd never seen anything like it. And, and so we'd, we'd, Bill and I had been up there beforehand. Then we went up there after this revival happened. And we got to experience firsthand what it was like. We would have, you know... Tens of thousands of people out there and we would see people rushing to the front to give their hearts to the Lord. We saw, I saw kids hanging on to, to, to little poles at the front, crying and weeping for their family. We're talking six and seven-year-old kids at the front repenting for their family to come to Christ. And this affected every, every church, every denomination in every town and city in that area filled to capacity seven nights a week. That's revival. I don't want to cheapen this stuff. I mean, this is what it's like when a whole region, a whole people group turn to Christ. And we can, we can see that happen in our day. We honestly can. The coolest thing, this will blow some of your fuses, some of you. But there, there's a phenomenon called uh, going down under the power or you know, slain in the Holy Spirit. That was Ananias and Sapphira, but you know, outside of that, uh, where people fall over under the power of God. Now, when we were up here, we would be, I would be singing and, and looking at people and people would just start falling over, just randomly all around the place. No one near them, no one prayed for them. They would just fall over and, and no one knew what to do with them. Bill's preaching and the people would just slide down their seat onto the floor like that. I'd never seen anything like it. It wasn't fake, it wasn't contrived, and, and the people up there didn't know how to deal with this. So they sent the elders out with, with a stretcher to pick up the body and take it out, which they did, and they lined them all up in a room and, and, and until they kind of came to. I loved watching these people who had no room in their theology for God to do this cope with what God was doing. How good is that? They didn't have someone sitting around saying, oh, I don't think that's biblical. What do you do? It's happening. And so God just blew their fuses. He blew my fuses when I saw the incredible things he could do. But we, you know, I was sitting up there amongst all these people seeing God do amazing things and I was crying out to God, God, let it happen in my nation. Let it happen in my country to my people. And then he spoke to me and he said, what price? Are we really prepared to pay the price? Are we really desperate enough to see it happen to our people in our time? Ezekiel 22, God says this to him, I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy, but I found none. And my question to you this morning is, will you stand in the gap with me? 
Because I believe God is going to bring great revival to our nation. We sing about it. We talk about it. But, it, but we're going to see it. We are going to see God pour out his spirit on our people. And you know how I know? Because it's so dark out there. And the darker it gets, the brighter we can shine. There was a, a passageway into the town of Strawn in Tasmania. It's only 200 metres wide. Many ships run aground there. And, and to make it work, they had three lighthouses that were different colours. And when those three colours merged into a white light, they knew they were on course to get through okay. I think it's about time we shone in the darkness, don't you? I think it's about time that people could, could line up those lights and see God in us. And that we see our nation come to... to we may have to come to our knees as a nation, but what price revival? What price? I'm prepared to pay any price. I've thought this through. I'm going to ask you to think it through right now. What price are you prepared to pay? You might say, well, so far and no further. But if you do that, you won't see revival in your life, let alone your community. If we join together, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's the challenge this morning. We're not here to do church. We're here to transform a community. We're not here to play games. We're here to serve the King of Kings. Would you bow your heads? I've asked questions this morning. What price? You cannot bargain God down. The word of God says, search me, I've got to know my heart. Test me and know my wicked thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, I pray that you would search your, our hearts right now, that you would shine your light into our hearts. That we would have whatever is in there revealed. That we would confess it and get rid of it and say everything, all for Jesus. No turning back. Just search your heart now. What is it that you hang on to? that God's asking you to release today? Is it your family? Is it your business? Is it your home? Is it your dreams? What is it that God is asking you to lay before him? Because this morning it's time for us to give that stuff up and say, Lord, here am I. Use me. Let me be the one who stands in the gap. Just search your heart. ask you to pray this prayer with me this morning and together we're going to stand and believe God for revival in our homes, in our families, in our church, in our town in our nation just pray this prayer with me say Lord I give it all to you I hold nothing back. Forgive me for withholding in the past. 
right now I lay it at your feet and say have your way have your way let's stand together I believe there's great virtue in physically responding to the Lord so if you are serious about laying this all at his feet I'm going to invite you to the front we're going to worship the Lord together here but only come if you're serious because there's so many things we hold on to it's time for us to give that stuff up but we prepared to pay the price if that's you come to the front we're going to worship the Lord together